This is the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, Managing Editor of Best Recommended Insurance Attorneys. We're pleased to have with us today Attorney Al Goldberger from the law offices of Alan S. Goldberger with offices in Florham Park, New Jersey. Al is a nationally recognized authority on sports law and sports officiating. He is frequently retained by insurance carriers and claims administrators to defend sports officials, coaches, camps, officials associations, and other sports industry insureds. Al is the author of Sports Officiating, a legal guide, the recognized legal authority for game officials, and co-author of Sport, Physical Activity, and the Law, a college textbook now in its third edition. Al has also written numerous articles that have appeared in legal and athletic publications nationwide and is a featured speaker at conferences including the National Association of Sports Officials, the American Bar Association, the International Association of Approved Basketball Officials Incorporated, and U.S. Lacrosse. Al is also admitted to practice in New Jersey, New York, and Maryland. And Al, it's our pleasure to have you with us as a guest again today. Good morning, John. Always great to be with you. Today's discussion is on the Protecting Young Victims from Sexual Abuse and Safe Sports Authorization Act. And Al, for our first question, can you tell us about this act? Sure, John. The Protecting Young Victims from Sexual Abuse and Safe Sport Authorization Act of 2017 is quite a mouthful that it is. It signed into law a little more than three months ago. And I think that any fair reading of the law would yield the conclusion that both the tone and the substance clearly reflect congressional intent to deliver a message to persons involved in the delivery of sports programs. That message is that the failure to proactively address sexual and other forms of abuse of amateur athletes, and particularly children, can result in severe consequences. The statute contains a boatload of requirements that will profoundly impact day-to-day activities of a wide range of sports organizations all across the country. And to benefit the young athletes served by those organizations, a virtual buffet of remedies is on the table to redress any form of child or sexual abuse of athletes and participants in amateur sports. At the core of the new requirements, we find the legal obligation of adults who interact with young athletes to report suspected child abuse, including sexual abuse, within 24 hours of learning facts, giving reason to support such a claim. Under the new law, covered individuals encompasses an entire spectrum of adults who interact with athletes. This is going to include organization members, staff, independent contractors, and volunteers. Virtually anyone who is authorized to deal with underage or other athletes in sports, with few exceptions. Al, does the new law apply to all youth sports? Well, Almost. I mean, the reporting requirements are only a part of the new law. Other provisions also serve to change the law regarding abuse of athletes in several respects, in terms of civil remedies, criminal remedies, and administrative remedies. So as a result of one act of Congress, Federal Child Victims Act, the federal criminal statutes, 
and the scope of civil remedies for personal injuries, those provisions provided for violations have all changed in favor of, like the law says, young victims. The second section of the law empowers an organization known as the United States Center for Safe Sport to impose sanctions for abusive athletes affiliated with national governing body sports. Also, criminal penalties may be in store for those involved in sports programs who look the other way when it appears that abuse is committed. The law also requires amateur sports organizations to put additional procedures and safeguards in place to protect athletes from sexual abuse. Now, in terms of the application of the law, all amateur sports organizations that affiliate with a national governing body or participate in interstate or international competition are going to be included to get your event and national governing body sanction to go forward, you will need to comply. And with travel teams being what they are and, and so popular, it's not unusual at all for organizations to cross state lines for a tournament, a game, or a meet. So the applicability of the law seems to be pretty wide. That's probably where the second part of the law comes into effect. And that second part is what they call the safe sport organization part. Safe sport has a mission. Uh, it is a nonprofit organization. Its mission is to guide local sports organizations and national governing bodies to comply with the law in a number of ways. Firstly, to establish procedures to limit one-on-one -on -one contact between the adults and the athletes. Secondly, to provide outreach to educate and train the members and the athletes as to what they call the level of conduct required by the law, and lastly, by mandating governing bodies to make sure that there are reasonable means for reporting violations. Also, Safe Sport can bar abusers permanently from access to athletes in a covered program. Also, there's a requirement to offer training regarding prevention of athlete abuse to adults involved and if parents consent to the athletes as well. And the required training also includes reporting protocols for those who disregard the prevention part. As far as barring offenders on the part of safe sport, there are some who would argue that the due process element leaves something to be desired, but the authority of safe sport is in the statute and it's documented. So, Al, how is someone coaching in a league supposed to be aware of these new requirements? Well, basically through uh, the educational requirements, John, of the law and the requirements imposed on organizations to basically offer training and to educate all of their workers, including coaches, volunteers, independent contractors, and so forth, as to what's proper and what isn't in terms of contact and as to the requirement for reporting. Uh, a covered individual is, is, is really going to be, you know, anyone who is authorized to interact with young athletes or amateur athletes by either a national governing body or an affiliated group or a group that uh, uh, that competes in interstate play. So this applies to a lot of different people, and, and really most of the amateur sports community 
uh, you know, other non scholastic level, and, and even then there are some issues. Now, who else is affected by this new law? Well, I think uh, some municipal recreation teams, if they have a travel component, uh, particularly in our our uh, urban areas and more populated areas, not it's not at all unusual for even even the rec travel teams uh, in a number of sports to cross state lines. And right away, whether there's a governing body affiliation or not, you know, you have a situation where you have the law applying just by its broad definitions. And can you comment on typical types of insurance coverages? Well, I think, John, the coverages can be found in a number of places. Uh, There are endorsements covering third-party claims saddled up to ride on the the employment practices liability policies, directors and officers coverage, and even possibly a homeowner's or an umbrella contract could be... uh, uh, could be called into play. With this type of claim, issues can arise as to vicarious liability as well as the garden variety claim of direct negligence. As to child abuse, as distinct from sexual abuse, coverages can vary on that issue. Uh, in terms of the new law, it certainly uh, has a reach that extends to child abuse even of a non-sexual nature. So how do you see this act potentially impacting claims? Is there anything insurance carriers need to be made aware of? There are a number of things, John. Uh, As far as damages, although the sky is the limit under the law, uh, there's also a liquidated damages alternative, which is $150,000 just in case. So, you know, this obviously is, is quite significant. Also, as is typical in federal statute litigation fee shifting in favor of the prevailing party is applicable costs and expenses in some cases punitive damages are available too and finally uh, believe it or not courts are empowered under this statute to grant injunctive relief as well as preliminary relief which will increase the defense tab obviously if those claims are wheeled out for any reason uh, Choice of occurrence or claims made will raise other issues under the Act as to statute of limitation. Plaintiffs have a long time to bring civil claims up to 10 years after the later of either reasonable discovery of the violation or the injury itself or 10 years after the victim's 18th birthday. So that retroactive dates may become significant in terms of coverage issues in a claims made policy situation. There's also the question of dealing with exclusions for intentional acts. Some contracts will have a a robust provision on that, some not. The cost of defense, will it reduce coverage or be outside of the limits for these claims? There's obviously, there's counsel, uh, experts, investigation costs can be significant. Uh, As to other items impacting claims, I think it's the usual suspects, How's the contract defined and insured, employed staff, volunteers, members of a board of directors or trustees of a sports organization, governing body officers or subsidiaries or other affiliated groups? And 
lastly, maybe, uh, or or almost lastly, you know, do we have one occurrence, or are there many occurrences? How does this affect the aggregate? Are there client-on-client exclusions and and the trigger issues? You know, what did the insured know? When did they know it? If there's more than one policy, which oftentimes, as you know, there may be, how is coverage going to be divvied up? So I think those are some of the the major issues in terms of carriers' concerns. Al, thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure, John. Always good to be with you. Same here, Al. That was Al Goldberger from the law offices of Alan S. Goldberger with offices in Florham Park, New Jersey. And special thanks to today's producer, Frank Bowinkle. And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, go to our webpage, www.ambest.com slash claims resource. If you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast at ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, and now this message. Best Insurance Professionals and Claims Resource is the top website for locating qualified professionals and need-to-know insurance information for the claims market. Brought to you by AMBest, the world leader in insurance industry information. Visit ambest.com slash claims resource.